hello, uh, my name's Joe, this month's host of The Commentarians. And I'm Adam the Fourth Rope, elder at Assembly of Christians in Downey. And we're here to talk over your movies. Uh, hi everyone, welcome to The Commentarians. Is this Prairie Home Companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. <laughs> I saw a squirrel. I am going to point out real quick, this to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Stop listening right now and go watch Firefly. Hey, this is my podcast. I'm sorry, sorry, Joe. <laughs> we are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survived, and there's a God who heals of these wounds. Jesus isn't about the isms. Uh, he's about his kingdom. Because it is kind of like this idea that Jesus died for all of our sins, except when you have sex. And Jesus doesn't cover that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Commentarians. Uh, as we uh, mentioned before in The Coming Attraction, we are doing uh, Prince of Egypt with Adam Thropy. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing pretty well, Joe. How are you? I can't complain. Doing pretty good. A couple of technical difficulties to get started, but I think we're doing all right. Uh, this is a fun movie. Uh, what do you... Uh, last time we did a movie, we did uh, Passion of the Christ. Right. A uh, biblical movie. This is uh, Old Testament uh, mm -hmm. or the Hebrew Bible. Don't worry. Yep. But uh, 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 how accurate do you think... Uh, we talked about the accuracy of before. Uh, Solo Scriptura you brought up. Uh, yeah. How accurate is this movie to the actual... I mean, you know, it's a little <laughs> hard to... Yeah, well, um, you know, that's a that's a highly debated, you know, debate as to uh, if this is a historical event, which I believe that it is, uh, when did it occur? Uh, did it occur during the times of Ramses as the movie portrayed? Did it occur uh, sometime earlier in order to more line up with the chronology in the Book of Kings? Um that's uh that's a big debate between uh scholars of the bible i personally lean toward the earlier date of the exodus before the time of ramses uh during the 1400s uh bc and but you know usually just about every egypt movie you see goes with the the ramses date so i don't sure. I, I don't really think too much about it other than um you know, the Hebrews, they weren't building, they weren't building pyramids. They weren't building anything. Sure. <laughs> they were just making bricks. Right. Um, you know, so, and I think it's not just the fault of the movies. It's just the way it's been told in Sunday school stories, a lot of inaccuracies in the way that the story is told. And right. so those things are reflected in the movies, but I don't blame the movie for that per se. You yeah. Know what I mean. And how about uh, how uh, how well does it follow the biblical telling of this of these events? Um, it's it's good in terms of you know the the main events. There's obviously things that could not have happened, like Miriam could not have been there when Moses got kicked out. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hebrew tradition says that Moses was kicked out when he was twenty, but he didn't end up marrying Miriam until he was close to eighty. Mm -hmm. uh, Christian tradition says it was 40, or at least that's what Stephen says in, in his sermon in the book of Acts, um, that Moses was 40 when he's kicked out of Egypt, and still um, my interpretation, the best explanation for me, is that it's still close to 80 when he marries 
Miriam. So Miriam, uh, if she's young enough to have children and all these kind of things, most likely not any part of the Egypt story of of Moses' life. Right. And, um, yeah, so uh, we should get started on it uh, right away because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, this is actually a real. I actually think that this is a really good movie. It's a very and, good movie. I know, really not, enjoy it. Not just as a Christian movie, just in, as a movie in general. I exactly. really, really love it. I think uh, it's not the new kind of computer animation. It's the old school yeah. kind of cartoon animation. Right. But it is gorgeous. I love the imagery from this. Uh, so, yeah, we're about to get started on it. If you're uh, if you're watching along, uh, it's, it's going to be a countdown, as always. Three, two, one, and press play. And then you press play along with us. So, let's get started. Three... Two, one, and play. All right, we have a kid sitting on a moon. This is the DreamWorks logo coming up across uh, clouds and DreamWorks. All right, so you should be synced up with us. Uh, all right, so it starts off uh, says the motion picture you are about to see is an, an adaptation of the Exodus story. While artistic and historical license has been taken, we believe this film is true to the essence, values, integrity of the story that is cornerstone of faith of for millions of people worldwide. The biblical story of Moses can be found in the book of Exodus. And I would agree with that statement. Yeah, it it you you basically get the main the point of the story. There's yeah. some things that are a little off. Uh, but, you know, uh, not really that important to the main point. Right. Uh, so, yeah, um, I, I've, I just got through reading uh, Leviticus for my other podcast mm. a couple of months ago. And learning about uh, early Israel just blew my mind. Mm. How the Israelites viewed God, how they saw God at the time. And the one thing that I was so blown away by is that at this time like right now in uh the story of moses and uh you know uh egyptian enslavement of the hebrews they didn't know that there was going to be a messiah would that be right like uh like a christ-like figure that shows up in yeah it's hard to know uh you know because if we go with the assumption which a lot of people disagree with that moses is the one who wrote genesis at this point they don't have access to the book of Genesis. There may be oral traditions uh, that are passed on. Genesis 3.15 is what gives the promise of oh. a Messiah. Okay. Uh, the the sperm of the woman, which is an unusual, very, nobody would, you wouldn't say that normally. Sure. Um, but this promise of a descendant of Eve that will crush the serpent's head is basically the, you know, one of the few things that they would give any idea and again we don't know how much if any that story was in the common narrative of of the hebrews at this time so yeah sure. it's, it's kind of hard to say uh or at least a um, okay so then it would be we wouldn't know the messiah as a story or as what we know now right they for had sure. no idea what the messiah would actually look like if there was right again there's promise of abraham you know through his descendant all nations of the earth will be blessed. Mm -hmm. So there's, again, we don't know how much of that was in the Hebrew mm -hmm. mindset. Was was that part of their everyday thinking? Did they think of themselves as the 
the transmitters of uh, the future, a future promised descendant of Eve and Abraham who's going to bless the world? Or was this something that was later brought to the attention of the Hebrews after Moses compiled these writings? Yeah. And, uh, okay, so here we have the beginning of the story of Moses where uh, ran, uh, the king sent out, or the pharaoh sent out soldiers to kill the firstborn of Egypt. Yeah. Uh, why is he doing this? Well, it's a good question. Um, the way that the biblical narrative tells us is when Jacob, when Joseph's family, Jacob and, and Joseph's brothers, come to Egypt, the pharaoh there makes an arrangement with them. You can live here in my land and not st suffer from starvation because of Joseph, uh, you know, the relationship, relationship that Joseph and the pharaoh have, but they got to pay rent. And the rent is look after pharaoh's cattle. Sure. And that's a, that's a good deal. But apparently after that, after Joseph dies and the last pharaoh who knew Joseph personally dies, a future pharaoh who may not even who may have even been a different dynasty if we're looking historically not even from the same family hmm. has no clue or no regard for that arrangement and says no if you're going to live in my land you're going to provide me with bricks for sure. our monuments and so the rent is changed and the rent keeps increasing it keeps he keeps making more demands and now he's got this big population which is uh, uh, difficult to manage because it's just a big alien population in your country right. and how are you going to keep them under control but you don't want to let go of all the free labor that you're getting out of it so this is a solution that he comes up with to keep them weak you know read out we'll, we'll keep them the, the males limited um, so I don't have to worry about any kind of threat or insurrection sure I guess I mean we're kind of uh, assuming things into it but that's basically Based off a few more things. or less what we think is yeah. the reason. Yeah, and I want to I want to talk about this a little bit. Maybe I'll talk about it more later. But the idea of a story, where stories come from, because I'm getting super into Joseph Campbell, and I've talked about him before. I maybe I've talked to you about him, uh, but he's a guy that um, he's been studying uh, stories throughout history for a long time, and he's realized that in every single culture, in every single religion, throughout time, they've been, every single story has followed a really similar roadmap. They're not telling the same story over and over again, but they're following the same kind of uh, beats. Mm -hmm. And how is that possible? How is it possible that cultures that have never met each other, that have never crossed paths, and throughout, from the beginning of storytelling to now, you mm -hmm. know, the Avengers and, you know, Superman and all these, they're following, all these humans are following the same beats. Mm. How is that possible? And this isn't like the Bill Maher argument that, uh, you know, these stories, you know, are stolen from, like, every Christian story is stolen from a previous, mm -hmm. you know, which is ridiculous. Like, the, the example he used is that there's an old god that uh, predates Jesus, that was born of a virgin, was crucified and rose three days later. Turns out that the example he used is absolutely not true. Right. Uh, you know. false. But what's interesting is that a kid in that scene in the, the movie Religious I'm talking about, 
uh, this kid says, yeah, but Luke Skywalker is the same story as Jesus. It's just a throwaway thing, and it's just passed over really quickly. But it's a really fascinating thing that the kid brings up because it's almost like there's something inside of us, of all humankind, that in our DNA is embedded this story that we keep telling over and over and over again. And I'm fascinated by that idea because I think that it is God putting the knowledge of himself in all of us. Because, you know, and now I'm getting a little bit, you know, you know, I, I don't know. I, I get really, really deep into this, but I think that, uh, what's his name, Nietzsche was right when he said that, well, when he said God is dead, he wasn't correct when he said that. Mm -hmm. But the reasoning he said that was because he said, we're, we live in a time of science, of philosophy, we don't need God. We are at an age where we've outgrown, then we're no longer superstitious, we have reasons behind everything that happens, we created gods to explain things we couldn't explain, but we don't need them anymore. And he's right, we don't need God anymore to explain everything, but we still strive for him. Why do we, do, does, does humankind continue to strive to make a connection to the cosmos, to reach for what, to something that's out there? Most people believe that there's something out there that we can't see. Why is that? And I think it's because of that. We continually tell these stories, the story of Moses, the story of Jacob, of Abraham, and all other stories, Moses, I mean, um, uh, uh, Muhammad, and, you know, uh, uh, Harry Potter, they all follow the same path. And I think it's because we're being told, or we have this knowledge inside of us, embedded in us. Throughout history, we've had it. And I think that it's a way of God communicating with us, telling us to, you know, telling us that, that he exists basically. And that, that's a theory that I've been working on for lots of reasons, I believe that, but yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I'm getting pretty deep into it. It's, uh. Yeah, well, the way that I've always looked at that phenomenon is more along the lines of uh, when you, like what David says in Psalm 19, you know, looking at the, looking at the universe, looking at the galaxies, the stars, like it's like it, it states something that you know there, there's beauty there's order and in all our personal experience we know that that comes from a you know a, a, an intelligent and creative person to create this right. beauty and this order uh, and so it's only natural that we would reassume that there is a powerful personal creative force behind what we see just like any work of art that I see, this painting of Jesus right here yeah. in the room, uh, you know, I may not think, I wonder anything about this artist, but it's just kind of goes without saying some artist with talent and skill put time into making this work of art. Yeah. And I wouldn't see it any other way because it would be an absurdity. Right. And so it's only natural that humans would assume the same thing. The more that we discover the beauty and the complexity of our universe whether at the microscopic and subatomic level or at the macroscopic level, it makes sense that, that we 
would have this kind of idea of a a being that is above us mm-hmm. that can do things that we strive to do but could never really hope to do. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm just, yeah, I, like I said, I've been thinking about it, like, endlessly over, because it's almost like, I don't know, it, it compels us to move forward and to evolve as human beings, not like evolution, like, you know, we change, as, you know, but we evolve as people to grow and to move forward, whereas, you know, the old evolutionary model is that like a hummingbird's beak is shaped in such a way that it's meant to feed on this one flower. If that flower goes extinct, then that's it for that hummingbird. They, they you know, mm-hmm. they, they go, you know, they disappear. But humans, it's like God said, let's, meet, let's, let's make a different kind of creature. A creature that can survive anything. That can run from famine, that's mm-hmm. slower than a lion, that's weaker than a bear, but it can dominate them both through ingenuity and language and communication. Let's create. Let's experiment with that model for a while, and I think that this kind of story helps us to propel forward. It tells us that once upon a time things were the way they were, except for this one thing. Except that you know, until except I followed a rabbit down a rabbit hole. Except until I saw a burning bush speaking to me. You know, we all tell. We all have these stories, and we keep telling them over and over and over again. Because it makes change something important, something dangerous, but something we we need and we thrive for, you know. And I, I, it's just pretty impressive that every culture has the same roadmap, you know. They all come up with something different, and you know, of course, because I'm a Christian, I happen to believe that the Christian way is the right way, and that everybody else is kind of mistaken. But I, I do believe that we have it inside of us to know God, that he's reaching for us, that inside of us we have this, either this lacking that we need filled, or, you know, that's why we're so such good consumers, you know, <laughs> because we have a need and a lacking, but on some level, like, we have this pull towards him, and I, that's why we keep telling these stories over and over again, because we have it inside of us already, you know, it's, yeah. Right. And, you know, part of that is because if there is a, a being higher than of us, higher than us, a being above us, that uh, that's why we're not okay with living the life of an animal. Yeah. Living for, you know, subsistence and by any means necessary, by any means necessary. Like we have a concept of morality there. There's a level that goes too far. There's uh, a standard of behavior that we hold ourselves accountable to. And when someone violates that against us, we feel victimized, we feel wronged, we feel that there should be some sort of authority to regulate this and to prevent this from happening. Like yeah. we, we create one, we create governments, we, we want to pass laws, we want to force people to abide by our conception of what is right and wrong because... Right this idea of survival of the fittest and do what works for you uh, to survive, we don't buy that when it comes to human existence. Right. But it, if there is no God, that would be the best way to live. It would have to be, right? We talked about this in the, uh, in the Crimes and Misdemeanors episode, and we just came to this conclusion that, I mean, you know, it's kind of right if 
if there is no God, then there's no real consequences for anything wrong that you do. Can you put the volume down a little bit, please? Yeah, no problem. But yeah, it's... Uh, and yeah, so therefore, I think there would have to be <laughs> a God. You know, and you know, other people have said that even if there is no God, we'd have to create one because we have to have a a path to to do what's right. We have to have a reason to do what's right and wrong. And the, the, for me, biblically speaking, it would have to be a God who wrote the Bible. And of course, not with his own hand, but would have inspired the writing of it. Because no person would ever write the mor the morality of the Bible where you have to love your enemies. That makes no sense, especially in, the, in an ancient world. Yeah. You know, the, the idea of, you know, all of these, uh, you know, just the, the, just going through Leviticus, the whole, the reset button of the Jubilee, you know, that's insane. Right. Nobody would yeah. ever, no human being would ever think of that. Yeah. Would ever be okay with that. You know, it would have to be somebody who, a, a God that believes in us more than, you know, or or a God that would know a higher way of living, a more loving way of, you know, being. So, yeah. Yeah. So we should get back to the movie. <laughs> but uh, we just saw, we're kind of seeing this relationship between uh, Ramses and uh, Moses. Uh, and, you know, Ramses being the future king and Moses being the second, his... Uh, what would he be? The vice step pharaoh, <laughs> yeah. Or eventually would be he's like the other son, and um, yeah, they they like to have. It's this idea that uh, either he he's trying to live the life that his dad wants him to live, right? He has he needs to be more responsible. He needs to be a better, you know, a better individual. Ramses is, and Moses kind of keeps messing him up, you know. <laughs> but again, this is all part of the, the artistic interpretation. Artistic, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, we can assume Moses uh, being raised as a stepson of Pharaoh's daughter, is given, you know, an education. Um, right. I'm pretty sure everybody knew he wasn't her real biological son, so it probably was no chance of him being, uh, you know, thought of as in line for to be feral unless he, you know, unless he was the type of person who would, because it has happened. Sure. Where a step-sibling orchestrates some kind of coup and <laughs> takes over, but it doesn't seem that that's Moses' inclination, his personality. Right. No, nothing gives a hint of that. Um, we really don't know really what the relationship at all was with him and any of Pharaoh's family other than that being the stepson of Pharaoh's daughter didn't make him above the laws. We'll find out Yeah, uh, that he was still expected to, he, he couldn't kill someone uh, without consequence. Right. Again, with same thing with Pocahontas, 
uh, Hollywood likes, you know, the uh, the young romance. Right. But when you're talking about an old world romance, that's just not the way it was. There's no relationship with John Smith and Pocahontas. Right. There's the relationship with Moses and Miriam was when he was much much older. She was not alive at this time. Mm. Ruth and Boaz similarly, you know, a much older man. Right. As as was tradition at the time. Right. I mean, not in every case, but just those cases, the text gives us enough clues and information. That's the way that it was. Right. So here, uh, did Moses have any... Uh, he he kind of... He knew that he was a Hebrew, right? Was he of... Would he have known where he came from? It, that's a good question. Um, you know, we have the New Testament commentary in the book of Hebrews with the... the Hebrew scriptures itself don't say much other than the fact that he did, you know, stand up for a Hebrew. So that seems to indicate there's something that sure. he's aware of. Um, obviously, there's there's a real obvious way that he would know is, uh, you know, if he realizes that, you know, he's circumcised and the other Egyptians around him are not. Right. He realizes, wait, you know, why am I different? And sure. Why am I unique in this way? Um, so... You know, there had to be, we don't know what kind of psychological issues that, that created for him or what the nature, nature of his relationship with his actual siblings was. It seems he knew who they are when God tells him, hey, your brother Aaron's coming. Moses is like, oh, I have a brother. It's not like he didn't know. Yeah. So it seems to he seems to, uh, you know, at, at least be aware of his, his real family, his biological mm -hmm. family. Um, again, we have no clue. If it was hidden from him, like this movie portrays, and he somehow finds out, you know, on accident, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, again, poetic and interpretive license. The amazing thing that, that it kind of, that I do like that this brings out, though, is that Moses' parents knew that he was special from birth. Right. Like, he, this is a special child. This is unlike, you know, even our other two older children. And they're all special people when you look at... You know the way they're described in in the pen in the Torah, sure, and of course even by the prophets like Moses, Miriam, and Aaron were the leaders. They are the ones who led the people through. It's specifically stated as that, hmm. and so they all had leadership, you know, ability. They all were obviously intelligent and gifted in many ways. Uh, you know, Miriam writes songs, etc. Yeah, um, but even. Even within that, there was something unique about Moses. Even amongst a family of gifted people, Moses stood out to their parents. Hmm. And so they did everything they could to protect him from the fate that Pharaoh wanted for the Hebrew males at the time. And so, it, you know, I like that the book of Hebrews brings that out. That, uh, you know, the faith of his parents to, oh. to do whatever they could to keep him alive. Right. And of course, there's God supernaturally uh, working through the events of his life, which mm -hmm. are very scarce at this time of his life. We really don't know much about anything other than what got him kicked out of the royal family. Right. Yeah, um, th this is something that's worth discussing, is uh, slavery. 
here the Hebrew people are uh, slaves to uh, the Egyptian pharaoh. Uh, and But slavery is, you know, exists in uh, Israel. And I think that it gets a lot of... It gets a bad rap. And it kind of really, really upsets me when a Christian is asked about slavery. And they just say, oh, why do you bring up the bad stuff? You know, it says a lot of good stuff too. And it's like, we need to talk about it. You yes. know, and of course, if you're not a believer, if you're if you're an anti, you know, theist, uh, then you do get this. Um, you will just not be happy with it, no matter what. You know, you're just going to be upset about it. But slavery, according to God, is much different than the slavery that we know of, right? Well, sla- slavery is. A broad term and sure. when you're looking at slavery in the ancient world there's many many different types of mm-hmm. slavery um, Americans were primarily we primarily think of you know human trafficking people kidnapped people taken from their family people sold as property from one person to another and they have very little rights and it's on the basis of race so there's a lot of evil associated with this one particular form of slavery right in the old world there was that kind of slavery of mm-hmm. course yeah but there was many other types of slavery there was indentured servitude as of and for much of human history that's been a, a voluntary way to pay off debt you want to pay off your debts and you want to eventually uh earn your freedom again from that and that was a thing that could be done um you know s- slavery has always been an equal opportunity uh oppression right. i mean it, people kidnap their own people they kidnap people of foreign countries you know you have prisoners of war who are put to work in labor camps i mean there's just so many different types of slavery and so people even with what went on with the hebrews this is not what we would normally think of as slavery they weren't slaves by our conception of slavery they mm-hmm. just had a, a, a rent that was becoming more and more unreasonable yeah and when they said can we leave? Pharaoh said, no, you can't leave. Right. So it wasn't, it was, you know, I, I guess, I mean, to call it slavery is really a stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could say some kind of forced imprisonment because they weren't allowed to freely leave Egypt and say, hey, we're done with this deal. This deal really stinks for us, so we're out of here. Right. Um, but it wasn't really slavery Uh like we normally think of slavery. Right. Well, but there was slavery also. It was, so it, was, like, it was bondage. They, were, they right. were in bondage sure. because they had a rent that was an exacting, ridiculous, and, and you know... Unreasonable. Wor- unreasonable. Um, unreasonable demands kept being placed and those demands kept being increased. And, of course, he does this, you know, genocide. Uh, you know, acts of genocide are attempted against them. So there's a lot of evils mixed in together but it's not what we're thinking of in, in normal terms of slavery yeah but in like i said in, in israel there was slavery there was indentured servitude yes and there was actual slavery for prisoners of war for prisoners of war right but and again this isn't going to make people happy no matter what but the reality is is that they were human beings they Absolutely. were still it's not like they were lesser they were still uh made in the image of god slaves were and they were to be treated as such. 
they it, they're they're slaves, so it's still their job. They still have work to do, and they need to respect that work. But they weren't seen as lesser. You're, you're not allowed to kill your slave. Right. You know, you're not allowed to mistreat them in ways that are unreasonable. That you know, it. I mean, even whether indentured servant servant or an actual slave, it's much different than any other kind of slavery that we would imagine today. In fact, uh, you could buy a woman to, to to marry your son. You know, that seems awful, but once she gets married, she is an equal citizen of Israel and has a right to his property and his, you know, his wealth and all that. It's, it's, it's pretty, you know, it, I don't know. It's for the time being, for the time that it existed in, it's pretty great. Uh, great. I don't want to say because <laughs> it's slavery. It's bad, but it's much different than we would normally think of. Right. It's, it's not what we associate with the slavery. That's the history of our nation, which again was also not only this one type of slavery. Yeah. Um, the other forms were eliminated by the time of the Constitution. And, of course, all the northern states had uh, eradicated even the Chattel slavery of uh, before we even signed the Constitution. All the northern states had already done away with it. The South is what not only, you know, ramped it up, they doubled down on it and, you know, in every way tried to sure. maintain it and uh, insist that the rest of the nation... Uh, acknowledge it and participate in it by deporting escaped slaves, etc. Right. Um, but I mean, that's that's a whole separate issue. But that idea often clouds our minds, at which will, and it is inaccurate to the complexity of old world slavery in all mm -hmm. its different forms. Yeah, I, I think that that's the thing that we don't talk about. In, there's a lot that we don't talk about of, in the Old Testament. Like, I like I really didn't have an answer for why are we not following all the rules of the Old Testament? You know, the mixing fabrics, the, you know, the no pork, no, you know. I, for, I just agreed. I'm like, okay, well, we're, those don't apply anymore, but we don't know why. And I don't think we talk about that enough to our... And, you know, and it really, 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 really upsets me when progressive former evangelical pastors, you know, they become progressive... And they make the argument that, well, Christians don't follow all the rules because they don't follow the rules of the Old Testament. Like, you were a pastor. You should know why. You know, you should know why those rules don't apply. But we don't talk about some of those things that, are, you know, really need to be discussed. You know, and, and there's probably a multitude of reasons for that. And part of it is, you know, a lot of seminaries just aren't very good. They're really good at indoctrinating you know, their denominations, particular, you know, systematic theologies, their particular beliefs, they're not so good at teaching, like, how to study the Bible from a, a literary perspective, from a historical perspective, mm, yeah. and looking at the cultural elements of the statements that are made and trying to be able to differentiate between what are descriptive statements of the culture at the time and what are prescriptive uh, commands for the people of the time, and then understanding it's for the people of the time. I mean, for example... There's a law, right? One of the laws is a, a woman can't go to temple during the time of her menstruation. Right. Well, Jesus never followed that law because he never had a menstrual cycle. Sure. But it doesn't, it's not that Jesus decided, oh, you know, that law doesn't apply to me because I'm too good for it. <laughs> it's the law itself doesn't apply to him. It wasn't designed for him. Right. And, and that's the same thing. The same reason why uh, most of the laws 
Christians don't follow most of the laws is because most of the laws were not written for Gentile believers. They were written for the nation of Israel, a nation of Hebrews living in the land of promise that God had given to them. Right. And there was a conditions. It was an entire covenant. You abide by these laws. I will protect you and keep you productive and prosperous and happy in the land. Um, for Gentile believers, that situation does not apply. We're not guaranteed any kind of prosperity or happiness or any land or anything. Um, and so, of course, to impose any of those rules on us would be an absurdity. And the New Testament apostles made that very clear, especially yeah, like, in Acts 15. Yeah, in Acts 15, they literally say, okay, well, what laws do the Gentiles follow? Because we have Gentiles living amongst the Hebrews. Right. What laws do they follow? And they yeah. made a list. These are the laws that they have to follow. They don't have to do everything else, but these they still have to do. And right. it's your basic, you know, no murder, no, you know, adultery, that kind of thing. Right. And, and this list you can actually see in Genesis before there's such a thing as a Hebrew person. Right. Before there's such a thing as Abraham. Um, this is clear with Adam and Eve, with Cain and Abel, uh, with Noah, um, the idea of not murdering. The, the idea that murder is wrong. It's already brought out. So this is a universal principle. Yeah. The idea that there should be consequences for a murder. Mm -hmm. A universal principle, the idea that, you know, stealing, uh, the issue of private property and rights, like Cain is told to ask Abel for a lamb, not just, you know, hey, <laughs> everything belongs to everybody. You don't need to ask. No, like this, this whole idea of even personal and private property rights is there from the very beginning of right. humankind. So uh, these principles that they bring out, of course, worshiping God and, you know, not worshiping idols, all these things. Um, are way before there's even such a thing as a Hebrew or a Jew. Mm -hmm. So those are the laws that are universal to humankind, those gods that God gave to humankind when there was just humankind and there wasn't a chosen uh, ancestry of, of people who had a special covenant with God and were promised a certain geographical location to live in as right. long as they fulfill their end of the covenant. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and some people call them the Noahide laws. Um, and Noahide? Noahide, after uh, Noah. Right, but I thought it was Mosaic or... No, no well, that's the saying. It's pre-Mosaic. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. It's before the law of Moses. Oh, There's okay. Laws, sense. as you look at the, the life of the, the, you know, Adam, Cain and Abel. Sure. Uh, okay. And Noah, you see, okay, these are the expectations that God had of humankind way before uh, he gave any law to Moses. Sure, yeah. Or even before he gave Abraham the law of circumcision. And that's what uh, the the New Testament writers talk about. And, th and they're brought up again. You know, Paul says, let him that stole stop stealing. You know, mm -hmm. uh, not murdering. Loving God with all your being. Like, there are things that are, that are specifically stated as these are what even Gentile believers are expected to follow and do. Um, and so... We do this. It's not we're not picking and choosing. Just right. like I'm not picking and choosing if I, uh, you know, don't. Uh, sorry, my brain. I was going to go back to that one example <laughs> I gave, <laughs> but there's better examples. I can. I don't want to keep using that same one. Sure. Um, you know, if I don't follow the law of divorce, uh, you know, if I never divorce my wife, I'm not going to follow the law of how to divorce my wife. Well, that's because it doesn't apply to me. Yeah. I mean, it's it's absurd to say, oh, I'm just picking and choosing. No, I'm not picking and choosing. The law literally does not apply to me. Sure. Um, so it, it's absurd. The, the law that a, a priest cannot drink while he's on duty. 
in the temple. Right. Well, that's again that doesn't apply Probably to wise. me. <laughs> yeah, it's a good law. It doesn't apply to someone who's not a priest and not serving in the temple. It's not a matter of picking and choosing. It's just a matter of common sense. The the laws for the nation of Israel living in the land don't apply to non-Hebrews not living in the land. It's not picking and choosing. It's just what yeah. it is. It's common sense. You either have the intellectual honesty to acknowledge that or you create a straw man in order to selectively accuse people right. of having bigotry or hatred for following the laws that God has clearly stated in Old and New Testaments do apply yeah. to Gentile believers. So uh, Moses did, uh, you know, we're at a point where he find, he did kill a uh, an Egyptian guard or a soldier and he ran away. He's the he's in the in Pharaoh's family. Why wouldn't he that be okay? The I mean it's it's still they still have law and order. Right. It's not like they're just a bunch of like, you know, dictators just murdering people left and right. I mean they they're pretty brutal but they're oh, yeah. a brutal nation, but Yeah, I mean they have, you know, like every civilized nation they have a a system of law and a system of who has the right to you know kill people uh who has the right to bring it down you know and the pharaoh is the ultimate authority the pharaoh when when this the son becomes pharaoh he becomes the son of osiris yeah. so he gets this divine divinity to him that he didn't previously have right and so moses is nowhere near that and that's again that's and that's part of their culture that's a way of limiting you know excess and abuse and, and causing chaos and conflict you know only one person has the divinity residing in him only he has the power to or or the whoever he delegates it to right. to kill yeah. people for matters of convenience or law or whatever the situation may be <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of, well, you know, and, and it wasn't till recently, uh, a few years ago when I was working on a, another master's degree and I was doing a study of the Torah and, and just looking at, you know, everything that's going on with the life of Moses that, and it hadn't really struck to me before, you know, that regardless of when he left, whether he's 20 or 40, when he is kicked out of the royal family, he lives in the desert for almost 40 years as a nomad yeah by himself with nothing um and, and that's an amazing thing or maybe 60 years you know just him and god and you know survival uh in, in the desert but he's safe uh from pharaoh but mm -hmm. you know he he's almost 80 years old when he comes upon this well and he fights off the brigands who are you know, messing with Jethro's daughters yeah. and taking advantage of them. He stands up for them. He fights them off. Um, and, you know, even this idea, well, how could an eight-year-old man do this? Well, even at 120, he's described as he didn't <laughs> seem old at all. You know, he right. just ha had this youth and this strength about him. And uh, that's, you know, they get married. And, and what opened my eyes to this is, you know, when when he's on the way to Egypt and he hasn't circumcised his sons and 
you know, what, what state were his sons in that they would just allow Zipporah to circumcise them? Mm-hmm. Um, this they obviously were not in a state like you and I. Yeah, because <laughs> if our mother tried to circumcise us, there would be that would not happen. There's just no way it's going to happen. We would have objections. Yes, <laughs> but you know, a, an infant, a, a toddler, is not the same situation. They don't have that ability to stand up for themselves and say, "Hey, wait a second, what's going on?" Right. Um, so the idea is, his children are young. Uh, you know, they Zipporah is young enough to have had children, and so this is later in life when Moses has met her. Right. Unless there was an unusually long time of infertility that we're not given privy to. Mm-hmm. And the idea, the amazing thing, too, and I like that this movie brings it out, um, which is not specifically stated, other than we know that the Midianites are also uh, connected to Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so there's the idea that they do know uh, the God of Abraham. And so... Uh, you know, there's again, there's different tribes. There, there are tribal people, a nomadic people, um, and so even within those different tribes of Midianites, we can see there's some that had different deities they worshipped, and but it seems like Jethro, at least, I don't know if he had multiple deities that he worshipped, but at least the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, I should say, uh, is one of the deities that he acknowledged, and we can see it in his conversations later with Moses. Um, that that seems to be a, a part of his belief system. Hmm. So uh, they they're getting married. Moses and uh, what's her name? Uh, Zipporah. Zipporah. Uh, he's again like you know as old tradition. He's already very old by this time. Then she's uh, younger. It would most likely. <laughs> I mean, you know, she's young enough at least to still be of childbearing age at the very least. But sure. And again, you know, we don't know, I don't know a whole lot about Midianite culture specifically, but generally in the old world, you know, women and even men didn't necessarily have a say in the marriage. I assume in the case of Moses, he probably did have some kind of say, Mm -hmm. but it was probably a condition on him having, um, you know, uh, property, uh, safety within the tribe. Okay. Yeah. You know, just like with Jacob, when he goes to uh, his uncle's house. He's like, yeah, you know, what you're going to, you know, there's like a condition attached. You're going to take care of my crops, et cetera, my, my, my flocks and herds, et cetera. Um, or even in the case of Isaac, Isaac had no say. You mm-hmm. know, Abraham sends his servant 
hey, you go and find a wife for my son. And she doesn't seem to have much of a say. The right. only say that she has is, uh, her, which is unusual. I mean, her, her mother and her brother are the one who make the agreement with the servant. Yeah. Yes, we'll gladly marry our daughter to your servant's son. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then, but you know, obviously you're going to give her the customary time to celebrate with her friends before she goes off. And they're like, no, I need to go right You know, the servant says, oh, I need to go right now. And they say, oh, well, that's kind of unusual. So you know what? We'll, we'll let her. And they're willing to actually call off their arrangement. They're willing to give her that voice. Hey, you, if you don't get a chance to, to celebrate with your friends, mm-hmm. um, you know, are you still okay with doing this? Because we'll just call it off if you're not. And they actually give her that, which is kind of like an unusual yeah. circumstance. Generally, like you can see the whole transaction was made without Isaac or Rebecca being present. And... It's just a, a done deal. It's a, a, a sided thing for them, and neither one of them has agency in in that. Right. Um, you know, you could probably assume a similar situation with Zipporah, um, that it may not have crossed anyone's mind to ask her, you know, or just like it was the situation for most people. Sure. Um, but again, you know, that's not very romantic. We, yeah, we, <laughs> we like our, we're not our used romance. to that kind of idea. And, but it's just foreign to us. It doesn't mean that there's not love in those marriages. Right. You know what I mean? Cause it, and, and it kind of is eye-opening when you talk to people who, you know, because there's still cultures today that do arrange marriages. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to people of that and you can see, oh, yeah, there's definite love there, like that love that grows. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they make a choice in the marriage, you know, how this marriage is going to be. And that that love grows. Right. Um, and so it's different than our culture and the way that we would, we're used to things being done. Yeah, because I, I think I heard people describe that as like in America, we marry hot soup and then it gets cold. Uh, in other cultures, they marry, they get cold soup and it they becomes heat it hot. Up. Yeah. And so that, and like again, I think when we have expectations and demands, that causes a lot of problems. Not that you know, arranged marriages are perfect. But I think when you have a lot of demands, like expectations of your spouse and what your married life is supposed to be like, that causes a lot of problems that maybe don't exist in more arranged marriage kind of situations. Well, I mean, I think arranged marriage or not arranged marriage, if you have cultural expectations that are abusive, um, then it's going to be bad either way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because obviously I think we've heard horror stories of you know, horrible ways that women are treated yeah. in arranged marriages, in the Middle East especially, and in uh, India. But horrible things happen here too in America with people freely choosing to be with each other. And again, yeah. it's this kind of, this slavery, you know, uh, it's a different, totally different type of slavery. But people feel like slaves to their emotions, to the to the relational connection, and they don't know, you know, when to say, hey, this this relationship, where it's going, the way you're treating me, this is not okay, I need to leave. Or, or they realize it for a moment. They call the cops. Oh, he's beating me, stop. And then when the cop comes and arrests the man, then they're attacking the cops. and like, stop, right? And they're freaking out. Like, they don't... You know, it's the same idea of... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. a the, the abusive mindset, you know, a can, can exist no matter what. Right, the situation is so there can there's going to be abuses and and horrible mistreatment of spouses um, in any type of situation. It just depends on 
know, what is the, the mindset and the worldview. Yeah. Uh, here, here in the movie, we're, uh, we're at the moment when uh, Moses uh, finds the burning bush. Uh, this is the, uh, the crossing the threshold in the, uh, where he's moving from a world he knows into an, the unknown. Basically, he's uh, called to action. And, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty... I, I love the animation here. Yeah. I think that they did a really, really good job with that. But again, this is kind of pretty incredible that uh, just this story that God appeared to him in a burning bush. And yeah, I don't know. Fire fire represents God in many ways. In, well, in biblically. Yes, and especially in the circumstance where the, the bush is not actually being burned. Right. It's not really on fire. He's... Like he he saw that the 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 bush was on was was inflamed, but it wasn't burning it. Yeah, like it can't even just like imagine what that would look like. Yeah, and, and it's an amazing thing that here Moses is eighty years old and he's finally realizing his purpose in life. <laughs> right. Like he's lived eighty years and he hasn't known what his purpose in life is. And maybe, like you said, maybe he has inklings. He tried to figure out his own way. He took matters into his own hands and and killed someone. So he might have an idea that, you know, uh, I, I see injustice, I see unfairness, and sure. I want to fix it, but he doesn't know how to do it. And because he goes about it the wrong way, he spends, you know, 40 to 60 years of his life in solitude, right. like doing nothing uh, in terms of that, just hiding mm -hmm. uh, for, out of fear, uh, waiting, you know, for the current pharaoh to die and hoping that, you know, uh, you know, he can, he can live a normal life again. He gets married. He's got a family. He's got, uh, flocks. He's got a job. He's got a role in this Midianite community. Yeah. And, you know, okay, this is it. I, I found my purpose. You know, it's, I'm going to be a shepherd. I'm going to be a husband. I'm going to be a father. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to do my part in, in this nomadic community. And then, he, he, God tells him, "No, this is yeah. not. This is not your purpose in life. Actually, yeah, uh, you were, you had the right idea before, but you were going about it the wrong way. And now you're going to go about it in a way that makes no sense. Sure, but you need to trust me that this is the best way to go about it. And, you know, that's that is, uh, you know, eye opening for a, a believer in God to to realize that." You know, it's not about being comfortable in a good situation. Mm -hmm. You know, Moses is living the, you know, the the Midianite dream or the, the, the Near Eastern dream <laughs> right. life. Um, you know, everybody would be happy with Moses' life at that time, yeah. what he has. He's got, you know, a, a young wife. He's got a, a, a means of taking care of providing for his family. He's got mm -hmm. a protection within a communal society. He's got all these things going for him. He's, you know, why would you leave that? Why would you give that up? Why would you do anything to jeopardize that? Sure. And then he steps out in faith. God says, no, I have a calling for your life. I have a purpose for your life. And you need to go out and do these fantastic things, incredible things that make no sense. And you need to <laughs> get your people out of this bondage, this oppression that they're under, that they yeah. are, are trapped in. And it's because it is pretty incredible. I mean, some, you know, some shepherd going to the pharaoh and asking him, hey, 
how about you just letting all these people go? Like, you know, going to, you know, North Korea and talking to their leader and saying... Like Dennis hey. Rodman. Yeah, like Dennis Rodman going to the leader and saying, <laughs> you know, unlike Dennis Rodman, though, say, how about you just step down and you, you just, lose, you know, you just let go of all your power. How about that? And, you know, it's insane. Nobody's going to do that. Yeah. But it's what God called them to do. And in faith, we kind of have to do things that we don't always feel, it doesn't always feel comfortable. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and again, uh, Miriam's not with him. Uh, Moses, after the encounter with his uncircumcised son, he realizes, uh, when God confronts him about it, he realizes, you know what? Maybe this is not the place for my wife and kids. Mm. And he's still trying to cling to that, I'm a family man. And he realizes, you know what, this is not right. So he sends them back under the, you know, back to the community, Midianite community. Uh, you know, Jethro's going to look out for them, look after them. And he's going to go alone with his brother Aaron. Um, and have this conversation because yeah, what he's asking is crazy. And, yeah. you know, someone who considers himself a divine being and who has the authority. Um, now, of course there's cultural expectations. And if, as if Moses comes as a foreigner, um, you know, there's, he's not just going to kill him willy nilly. And of course, who knows what kind of supernatural, uh, influences are also affecting Pharaoh's response to, uh, Moses, mm-hmm. but Moses and Aaron, they come and, and yeah, like you said, it's this great step of faith to, to confront the most powerful ruler in your part of the world and maybe in any part of the world at that time and tell him, Hey, you know, give up this lucrative free labor <laughs> situation that you have going on. Right. And here's the, uh, you know, the first, or a miracle. Uh, Moses, you know, with his staff, like God said, with his staff, you'll do great, you'll do my wonders. Yeah. And uh, his staff turns to a snake. And this is interesting here. Is, and they they show it as a magic trick here. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the pharaohs, what are they, magicians? Yeah, he's got his entertainers. Yeah, they come up and they say, well, we could do that. Yeah. And they, you know, and he, like I said, here they, they present it like a, uh, and this is interesting to ask. So, the Bible mentions lesser gods. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, speaking to other people, I've, I've spoken, we mentioned it in the coming attractions, and uh, we talked about it a bit in the in my other podcast, Drinking a Bible Study, the Hebrew people were not did not believe that there was only one God. They 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 believed that Yahweh was the the God, God above all gods, but they believed that there were other gods that existed. But today we seem to have this idea that there is only one God, that there are all other false gods and blah blah blah. But I it, it just. It, you know, why would the Bible talk about lesser gods? Why would the Hebrew people believe that there were real other gods? Like, what? how How are we as modern Christians to interpret that? Uh, you know, here we have their <clears throat> worshipping Ramesses. I mean, I'm sorry, Ra. Right. Uh, there's Baal. 
mm-hmm. you know, really nasty God, really mm-hmm. awful, you yeah. know, uh, demanding horrible things. Human sacrifice. Well, uh, how do we reconcile that? Like, is there, are there uh, spiritual beings that would be considered gods? Where would they come from? <laughs> like, you know, there was a little thing on uh, the Bible Project that talked about how there wasn't just a human rebellion against God. There was also a spiritual rebellion against God. Mm-hmm. And those that rebelled against God were, you know, kicked out of his his divine counsel or whatever. I, I, all these terms, I don't know what they... Yeah, I mean, you know, John Milton's Paradise Lost has kind of big time influenced Christian theology. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily... Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, you're you're taking like some very scarce statements, like uh, from Daniel and repeated in Revelation, that the that the the beast uh, pulls down a third of the stars of heaven. So you're kind of interpreting that symbolically. The stars of heaven represent, you know, divine beings or angelic beings, and you know, do you take that literally, or does it just mean that, you know, whatever spiritual forces exist are fighting for that that Seleucid king? to oppress God's people, um, you know, and then when John takes that statement of Daniel, what does he mean by that? When the vision of the dragon, the serpent, which seem, which is described as being Satan, again, uh, he gets spiritual forces. You have that spiritual warfare passage, you know, the prince of Persia with the prince of Israel, Michael, the archangel. Uh, so, yeah, there definitely seems to be supernatural beings described in the Bible. Um so I, I think, you know, and, and the term for that is Elohim. And I think that maybe the confusion is like the, the way that Elohim is used. It could just be a name for God. It could refer to a whole uh, pantheon of, of divine beings for a particular culture. But it could be used, it could be used for angelic or, or supernatural beings that aren't necessarily meant to be thought of as deities. Um, it could be even used for the 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 wealthy the the powerful humans who who rule who get to make the decisions uh, like okay. pharaoh or like a king or someone who's has an exalted position over people and they make decisions for people so that term elohim has you know a, a lot of meanings uh okay. in different contexts and so i think sometimes people can maybe uh make too much of it but the reality is is that uh you know whether or not the hebrews viewed uh the egyptian gods as supernatural beings that actually existed um you know the egyptians certainly did yeah um at least that the common egyptian would maybe the educated realized you know yeah this is just a system that we've created to keep people in line and these traditions make no sense i you know it was kind of funny Uh, i was watching the bbc production of ivanhoe Hmm. and it's dealing with the story of prince john right and uh, you know, it, it's a totally fake story, but it's the idea of Prince John is like seeing the absurdity of what the, the Templar, the Knights Templar master is doing. And he's just like rolling his eyes. And it's like, he's, you know, we know from history, King John's a very intelligent man. And, you know, he obviously, and we know that he was acutely aware of the hypocrisy because when the Pope placed England on interdict, he took all the bishops concubines and arrested them and put them in jail so they couldn't have access to them. Sure. So he knew completely what's going on. And, and you know, he's a very intelligent man. He probably saw through when you're the person, when you're, you don't get to be where you are if you're not highly intelligent and you don't see through the sham of, of 
you know, of religious hypocrisy. Sure. So I'm not saying that every Egyptian, even Pharaoh, probably is acutely aware that he's not actually a divine being. Mm. But that's the story and the narrative that he tells to justify, you know, his decision making and what yeah. he gets to do. But in terms of the Hebrews, you know, regardless of whether or not they actually thought those beings actually existed, um, the reality of the Word of God is I can make an idol, I can make a God out of anything. Okay. I can make a God out of my relationship with my wife or with my wife or right. with yeah. my job. You know what I mean? So uh, gods are things that, uh, you know, real or not, if, if anything that I, I fear, adore, serve, or trust mm -hmm. in place of Yahweh, the only one who deserves complete dread, worship, dedication, and faith, uh, then I make that a God. And it may just be a figment of my imagination. It may be an actual entity mm. or object. But really, it's beside the point, like you were pointing out. God says, have no other before me. Right. God says, I alone exist. I, I am the only God. There is no other beside me. There is no other. Sure. And that's really the only thing that matters for mm. them and for us. Yeah, and I mean, they did obviously believe in other gods because some of them started worshiping other gods. Right. So yep. they believed them to some extent. Yes. Uh, but yeah, like, because the, uh, reading uh, Luke, you see that Satan is ever-present in it. If you, like, you know, mm -hmm. if you read it as a narrative, it's like Satan is constantly there trying to screw up Jesus' plans. Yeah, lurking in the background. He's always there. It's really, really interesting where he tempts him in the desert. He's at the crucifixion. Jesus tells the uh, the apostles that Satan has asked God to sift you, like mm -hmm. you know, he's always there, mm -hmm. and it's just this fascinating notion that could it be that those gods were other being you know beings that rebelled against God, and that uh, that they are there to mess up God's you know plans because we have. You know, we don't have demon possessions anymore like we have in the Old Testament. You know, we don't have other worship of other gods. What well, we do, you know, in other religions and stuff. But today in America, we worship money. We worship power. We worship sex. We worship ourselves. Sports teams. Sports teams. You know, yeah, to the point where people go, they riot. They spend yeah. godly amounts of money yeah. on betting on, on these games. Uh they overlook horrible, you know, <laughs> behaviors, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? So is it, could it be that we are being manipulated by these other beings, that that's actually what their jobs are, that that's what they do because they were rebelling against God before and they continue to try to ruin his plans. And it's this, it's this idea that's, you know, it was, it was brought up in that, the, the YouTube channel, uh, Bible project mm -hmm. that those beings were around before. And they are still around, and they're not, you know, just sitting in the corner quietly waiting for their moment. They're active. Right. Like I said, yeah, I think that the book of Daniel especially, and the book of Revelation, um, and like you mentioned, even the other books throughout Scripture kind of mention this idea that, yes, there are other supernatural beings that mm -hmm. aren't all good. They're not all, you know, there's definitely good ones. There's angels, there's guardian angels. I mean, maybe not necessarily in the traditional way we think of guardian angels, right. but there's angels, you know, that, that do God's bidding, um, that, you know, supernatural beings that 
serve God in some capacity and there's supernatural beings that uh, oppose God or at least oppose us and mm -hmm. it you know some people have different perspectives of it some people look at it as like well it's kind of like the prosecutor it's their job to to prove that we're flawed that we're sinned and so that's why they put these temptations before us um, but they're just doing their job it's not necessarily malicious or vindictive but in the New Testament it kind of brings out you know there actually is an evil element to it there is actually a a a motivation that is uh, to not just to oppose us but ultimately to oppose God's plan and purpose that he has for human history right and they're attempting to subvert it in some way mm. um, yeah and, and they definitely uh, exist and uh, you know that's why we have to that's why we're warned in the New Testament you know to be aware yeah you know the devil's lurking around trying to trying to mess us up. And so if we are trapped into a dread or a fear, an adoration, a service, a trust in something other than Yahweh, then yeah, then then we're we're messing up. Yeah. We're falling into the trap. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's definitely uh something to always be aware of is what is stealing the affection of our hearts, what is occupying our our imagination is our imagination consumed with worry you know I, I just saw something amazing you know worry is a misuse of imagination okay yeah that yeah that's actually yeah yeah great statement you know like yeah. whoa yeah i mean you know <laughs> you know something is 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 demanding my attention and my fear my adoration my dedication my trust and these things you know there are you know because of my obligations I, i've made a marriage covenant with my wife you know i've we have made the decision to bring children to the world so i have already have obligations i have a real an employee employer obligation sure um so there's nothing wrong with having obligations and having affections i i should have love for my fellow human being god but yeah it gave us these right gifts, so. right <laughs> that, that's rightly used but then where does it go too far where does it become an obsession that's unhealthy that's destroying and keeping me from fulfilling the purpose for which God made me. And I think mm -hmm. scripture is clear about bringing out those boundaries. Mm. And what about uh, these? We're going through the plagues. Uh, are these plagues representative of the gods of Egypt? Because that's what I hear. That the, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? The, the frogs, the uh, locusts, the water. The scarabs, the, yeah. the swarms. Which are, I don't know if the, if very many Egypt stories present the, the swarms. It just says swarms, mm -hmm. and you know King James I think said swarms. It, it put in parentheses of flies because they didn't really know okay. what scarabs were, and so they just kind of assumed it must be swarms of flies because what else could it be? Um, sure. But yes, there's definitely um, when you look at uh, you know Egypt, Egyptian, you know archaeology. Uh, when you look at the the religious symbolism, um, and you know we can see, yeah, there there's a god of the earth, there's there's a god for, of the Nile, there's uh, you know the, the Pharaoh himself is a god, yeah, and that's why his son is, you know, in the tenth plague, that's why there's a plague against Pharaoh's son himself, um, because he's supposed to be the next son of Osiris. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, all these, there's definitely, and, and, and the scripture does mention uh, that I will execute just 
vengeance or justice, I forget the exact yeah. wording, on all the, the gods of Egypt. Right. So, and again, not all. I mean, they had, like, you know... They had a ton. They had, they had a ton of gods. Steve, the god of donuts. Maybe, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they had a Horus and a Isis and all those. Sure. But, and, and not all of them are directly dealt with, per se, but it's just more, like, the, the number of ten means, like, we get the point. Yeah. Like, when Jacob says, you changed my wages ten times to his father-in-law, it's not necessarily literally that Laban changed it ten times, but what he's saying is, yeah, you change it so many times. The point is clear. You're not you're not intended being forthright with me. Yeah. That's the point of that. And so here when God brings ten plagues, the point is clear to the Egyptians. And that's why, interestingly enough, the Hebrews never really struggle with, hey, should we worship the Egyptian gods? It's quite clear in their mind, no, those are, are those are lame. We have nothing to fear or nothing to dread, or we have no regard for those gods. They've been clearly and thoroughly debunked mm-hmm. as grossly inferior to Yahweh. Yeah. What they struggle with is the gods of the Canaanites where they're living, the people the the gods who have always been worshipped, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the history of of the people who live there. That's the ones where they struggle to worship. But the Egyptian gods got with the ten plagues, you know, ten times God made it clear. Yeah, and no Egyptian God can do jack to me. Right. I am clearly superior in every way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and my, you know, my fascination of the occult and Satanism, I'm fascinated by the idea that, in in all its ways, you know, just, you know, worshipping evil, it's bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. And even those that don't believe in a real Satan that worship him as a, or they, they call themselves Satanists as kind of a political statement or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's bizarre. ridiculous because, you know, you're... I, I understand why they picked it because everyone hates it. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be free, you know, if you're going to allow religious, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, allowances in your culture, then you have to allow ours also. And it's a really terrible religion. Mm-hmm. But to use Satan, it's almost like using a swastika, you know, because it really represents true evil. Right. You know, and so I don't get that. But yeah, in, uh, in my, you know, uh, my research, I think uh, Alistair Crowley, the occultist uh, and right. you know druggy and psychopath, yeah, uh, for his wedding night, a gift for to his new wife, he summoned uh, Ra, the god of you know the Egyptian god Ra, which uh, you know possessed him and you know said that oh uh, you know Alistair is going to be the big gun that's going to bring the age of Aquarius, uh, you know, into our modern age, which wow. convenient you know that. Alistair Crowley said it, you know, that yeah. he was the big, the big honcho. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me being, you know, being born in January, I'm an Aquarius, so it's about time that my time comes. But <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, it's, it's just fascinating that, yeah, they, the, the, the Egyptian gods were a big deal to the point that they're still a big deal. Even today, occultists still, yeah. you know, worship them or, you know, it's, uh, yeah, so that, that's why I'm like really fascinated by the whole idea like are like is is the uh, spiritual realm more complicated than we than we think? Is it more populated? Is it because the the way that Satan and God talk in Job is very conversational. It's very much like like Satan just shows up and starts talking to God, 
even when God, when Jesus said that Satan asked God to sift the apostles, mm-hmm. like Satan is talking to God. It's this weird kind of thing that we can't we can't wrap our minds around. It's really fascinating to me, this idea of uh, you know other spiritual forces out there that uh, are either on the side of God or against Him. And... Right, and it's it's meant to provide motivation for us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's this idea, you know, that uh, you know if somebody's rooting for you to fail, somebody thinks if you're faced with this obstacle. You're going to fail. You can't do it. And normally, when someone tells us we can't do something, that motivates us to like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to prove you're an idiot and I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, just to say, screw you. But that's, uh, you know, this idea is that through whatever, every facet and s- step of life, we encounter hardships and we encounter difficulties. Mm-hmm. And there are people who would like nothing better than for us to fail. And so that should provide motivation for us to cling to God, cling to his word, to obey him and say, no, I will not let this, I will not let this travesty, I will not let this hardship, I will not let this circumstance uh, become an excuse for a, a sinful or evil mindset or an evil behavior mm-hmm. uh, to, to give up or to make an excuse uh, to fail to be the person that I know that God expects me to be and to convince myself, well, you know, it's okay for me to, to go this way, which is against God's uh, revelation. Yeah. And it, it really is fascinating because again, going through Leviticus, it just shows you how much love God has for us. Like he truly loves us and he wants us to, to, to be with him, to be in his presence and how he will cause us to love one another. It, mm-hmm. It's just this fascinating thing that it's almost like the, you know, the not wanting to follow his commands. It's almost like pride that's mm-hmm. keeping us from doing it. Because he's not asking us for a lot. He's asking us to love him, mm-hmm. which, you know, might sound weird because we don't see him and we don't feel him, you know, physically. So it's hard to... To have that connection, but he he loves us if we believe in a God of love. He loves us unconditionally, in spite of what we've done, mm-hmm. and he wants us to take to take care of each other. Right. It's not that much that he's asking for. Well, it, you know, it, it sounds simple when we're saying it, but the actual practical application of it that's where it becomes hard. Right. Because if someone's slandering me, you know, how do I still love them? You know, yeah. how do I not like burn in bitterness? Or even lash out or try my own, you know, try to start up my own little slander network to counteract <laughs> yeah. them. Like the temptation, the, the temptation is easy for me to resort to some kind of situation. Or even, you know, when I see someone who's in need to, you know, tell myself, well, you know, it's not really that bad or there's government programs or, or whatever. It's their fault. It's- yeah, it's their fault. They made dumb choices, you know. They put themselves in this position. It's easy to for me to to not love them like i can you know say oh yeah i totally love everyone but then when you know the the you know when the when the rubber meets the road am i actually doing it that's that's when it becomes really hard right it's easy to make up a million excuses well you know what i got this thing you know like the like the levite 
and the priest did with in the in Jesus story of the Good Samaritan, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, I got this thing, you know, I, I got to go serve in temple. I don't have time to help this guy dead on the road, dying on the road. I don't, I don't have time for this. I, I got more important things to worry about. And that's, you know, it's an easy... Or the other story of the three workers that all get paid the same, even though one guy works... Right. Really, it's real easy to be real upset at that in, injustice, mm-hmm. that we would call it. Yeah. You know? And, I mean, it's... Hey, you like, mean... But yeah. again, that's the whole thing. God, a person could never write those stories. Because right. that makes no sense. Yeah. For human beings, that goes against everything we stand for, or we believe in, or we're motivated to. Yeah. It would have to be a God who wrote this, because it, nobody would ever think of that. And here we have the, uh, uh, you know, uh, the death of the firstborn of Egypt. Could, it be, could Egyptians have saved themselves? If they followed Moses' instructions to, well, I mean, theoretically, it's kind of hard to say theoretically because Moses didn't even tell them. It's not like they were oh. even informed of the possibility. Sure, this was, uh, um, you know, this was a, a, a judgment that was brought, and, and a lot of people. It's funny the people who seem to have the biggest issues with God's communal judgment or judgment against an entire society, like Egyptians or Canaanites. They seem to have no problem with a communal judgment, you know, against straight white males or, you know, elements of our society. Sure. We have no problem yeah. making this blanket judgment that, right. hey, you all are privileged and you all deserve, uh, you know, you all deserve the worst. We have no problem when we do that to elements of society we don't like. That but we then, seem powerful. The well, rich. The rich right. in but, general. But, like, when, you know? but when God does it, then all of a sudden we got a problem with it and that it just really makes no sense. Yeah. But again, again, like it's really hard to defend the rich because they have it so privileged, because they have so much. But I mean, at the end of the day, if we're really talking about love, and number one, if we're talking about love, we shouldn't hate anybody. Number two, just because they're rich doesn't make them bad people. Right. You know, just because they have money, a lot of them have done bad things. But again, it's it's like the whole Christian thing, hating all, you know, it, leaving the church because it's full of hate and bitterness and hypocrisy. So you leave the church and you just hate all Christians. Yeah, it's makes no sense. It makes no sense, right? You know, especially hating those who want to work to make it better, like just cut them all off completely. It yeah, and so yeah, it it does seem to be a little, I don't know. Again, it's very human. It's a very human attitude to take. Right, but that and and that's the thing is that there is. Well, my point is there is such a thing as communal justice, and like for example, we're Americans, and, and I know personally, you and I, you know, we haven't voted for any of our last, you know, three presidents, <laughs> but we are two presidents for sure. Um, I haven't voted yet for we still major parties. <laughs> <laughs> we still share in we still so much share in the collective guilt of the abuses that our presidents have done sure uh you know when you look at you know it's it's fair for people to look at you know the collateral damage of bombings in the middle east and say hey america you're responsible for this now there's different levels of that because yes in a sense you could say america in general is is responsible for the chaos that we've caused in in uh, central american countries in order to 
uh, fight communism. You know, we empowered all these drug lords, and now these drug lords are wreaking havoc, and all these people want to escape the the chaos of these drug lords that we equipped, paid, monetized, weaponized. That to fight are, communism. To fight <laughs> communism. And now they're wreaking havoc against the common person in, in Central America, and they want to come here for asylum, and we're like, no, this is your problem, not ours. And yeah. there's, you know, but the fact is that we are... We bear responsibility for it. Now, of course, but there's caveats to that. And and this is, you get this from Peter's sermon to the Hebrews uh, when he says, you know, you, you with wicked hands crucified and killed the Messiah. Well, they hadn't, none of them probably had any, any clue. They were, most of them were at home celebrating Passover. They had no clue what the Sadducees were doing. These, and the Pharisees weren't even in favor of it. The Sadducees is... You know, they're the one that got the mob of thugs to say, you know, crucify him and all this kind of stuff. The common Jewish person had no clue any of this was even going on. Right. And yet they're still accountable because, well, your leaders did it. They they represent you. They did it uh, as representatives of you. But there, it doesn't mean that there's no hope. It's just a matter of do you acknowledge my leaders were wrong? Yes, this is wrong. And so for the Americans who say, no, this is wrong, I'm absolutely opposed to this. And I vote against it, and I do whatever I can to to point out the injustice and abuse that we're committing. Then yes, there's caveats for that, and they would bear less responsibility than those who say, you know what, forget all these people. You know, uh, there's we can do whatever we want because we're the biggest and the baddest, and yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, you know, there's obviously different levels of culpability, but there is a a communal sense. Of well, corporate responsibility. That we, we could say that even as Americans, we bear the, 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 you know, we are benefiting off of hundreds of years of oppression and slaughter. And I mean, it's it's really if you think about it, it gets really difficult to, you know, to think about. Right. It, it, we are living in a free nation full of a big country that spans from coast to coast. Yeah. We took it, yeah. We and you know, and it was built up by slavery. It, it was at least parts of it. Yeah, parts of not it all. Were, of yeah, it. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. And and again, and it it is you know, it, it, so there has to be. We can't ignore that, but we can't focus on it completely. We can't just weigh everything on on one side or the other. Right. But we again, like you said, we can't just also just say that no, not my responsibility. I don't care. Right. You know, it, we have to at least acknowledge it at the very least. At the at the very least, you have to acknowledge it, and then the other side is that is working against it, working to undo the effects of it. Right. You know, so how are you trying to help? You know, inner city children get fair access to education. You know, ending segregation laws was an an, an awesome and important step, but it's not been enough. We still see inner city schools, primarily minorities, that are not at all, you know, meeting the expectations and standards that we would expect of a school. Right. And so, you know, then we have to figure out, you know, is charter schools the best solution or what is the best solution for this? But we have to, you know, uh, when we realize an injustice and a problem that we've created or that we've allowed to be created, not that... You know, again, not that necessarily that Northerners or Californians are responsible for what went on in the South, um, but we kind of just ignored it or lied to ourselves and said it wasn't really that bad. And 
didn't really deal with the reality of, of how horrible it was. And then sure. once we did realize it, which is what the, the beauty of what Dr. Martin Luther King with the nonviolent protest marches did, and then our eyes were exposed. Oh my gosh, what is going on? They're sicking dogs and they're just beating on people and this on a peaceful protest, this is ridiculous. And then we realized, okay, the South is full of a bunch of, is run by a bunch of crazy racist wackos. And we gotta, we need to get the federal government involved with, we can't just allow this to happen anymore. Yeah. Here we have, uh, back to the movie, we have uh, the moment where the Egyptians were set free. Pharaoh changes his mind. He, you know, changes his mind and goes after them. And we have, uh, you know, the parting of the Red Sea moment that's about to happen, which, again, animation-wise, is unbelievably beautiful. Yeah, millions of, I don't, I don't know, if, hundreds of thousands of people hours, person hours, too. To do this animation the old-fashioned way, like you mentioned, yeah. and it's amazing. Um, I I heard once that because you know, like you were saying, the the, the Hebrews weren't necessarily slaves; they were an oppressed population mm -hmm. that were working for the Pharaoh. That on their way out, they actually ransacked, you know, the community, the Egyptian communities on their way out. And that's why the pharaoh went after him. I, I don't know historically. It's just something I I heard. Yeah, it's described as plundering, but it's also described as it was voluntary. Mm -hmm. The Egyptians were glad to get rid of them. They were like, you know, after what just happened, they the no last... longer they no longer supported pharaoh keeping them here. Right. The Egyptians had had enough. Like, you know, we've lost everything. We've lost so much. You know, we've lost our firstborn children. Like, can we? You know, is it really worth it? Is the free labor really worth it or can we just let them go sure and uh so the egyptians were happy to send them on their way please leave and pharaoh uh again against every the advice probably of every other single person <laughs> in his kingdom yeah. decides you know what uh forget this i'm not giving up my free labor after all yeah and it just it speaks to the the addiction of power you know, when you see someone who's privileged, it's easy to fall into the sin of envy. Like, you know, I w why do they get to have all those things that, that I can't have? Yeah. And that's a really bad trap to fall into. And I'm not justifying or saying that um, it's okay, you know, that their lives aren't significantly <laughs> better because of everything that they have. Um, whether it's gotten legitimately or illegitimately. Um but the reality is, is that, you know, that it's, it's, uh, Love it's too. enslaving. Yeah. You can see the whale, in, you know, behind the wall of water. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. It's but a yeah, beautiful it, art. Yeah. But yeah, it's the, um, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy the, how b both sides could just fall into this horrible mess of hatred of, you know. Yeah. Of, of blame. That's the that's you know what Jeremiah seventeen and nine says the human heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked and and the biggest lie is the lies we tell ourselves mm. that you know my circumstance is different from everybody else that's why it's okay for me to do this right or if anyone did this to me I would be outraged but for me to do it it's totally justifiable and we have all the lies we tell ourselves yeah.
I mean, th this whole thing of uh, how the extent that God went to protect his people yeah. is pretty incredible. And again, like, just reading the uh, the Old Testament, like, in every over and over and over again, you just see that it even, you know, these are his people. Yeah. Everyone else is set, you know, set aside. The, or, uh, the Hebrews were set aside, uh, you know, over everyone else. But everyone else was also welcomed. You know, right, exactly. The Gentiles were totally welcome to join them. Right. And, you know, it's just such an incredible... To join the Hebrew community, to become part of the nation of Israel. Yeah. You know, they, they would have to... Then they would make that choice. I'm going to enter into this society, this nation. I'm going to abide by the 613 or 611, however you count them, sure. laws of Torah. I'm going to be circumcised. I'm going to do uh, what the expectations and requirements are. Um, and... Yeah, uh, and that's what their job was to be, was to be a light. And we know from Romans 9 that this was God's, God sovereignly chose that the Hebrews would be the ones to to bring the Messiah into the world. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, God sovereignly chose them over Jacob, the descendants of Jacob's brother, Esau, the Edomites. God sovereignly chose them over the descendants of Isaac's brother. I saw Esau sitting on a seesaw. <laughs> <laughs> Did you I, see him uh, with my gal? Yeah, you know, you, you know yeah, with so my you, girl. Yeah, you were there too. Okay, uh, I just yeah. wanted to make he was sure. Giving you know. her a merry world. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> but when I saw Esau, he saw me. Then I saw Red and got so sore. Oh, yeah, a terrible story, but yeah, you know. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> it's such a fun song. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, the idea of, of, you know, God is making the point. Look what I can do to protect you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring you into the land of your ancestors again. So you can live there. And as long as you obey me and follow my laws, I will protect you. I will make sure that you don't have to worry mm -hmm. about invasion as long as you are obedient. And, of course, if you're not obedient, then I won't protect you. Yeah. And you're going to have to fight armies like pharaohs well, on your own. And which you have is no chance. real interesting because... We get upset at God for demanding so much, quote unquote, but we would never do that to another person. You know, it's almost like an abusive relationship that, you know, we, if, if you're, if you're married, it's not too much for your wife to ask you to love her back as much right. as she loves you to yeah. do, to spend time with her, to do things for her because she does so much for you. It's not too much to ask. Yeah. And you know, if you're, if you're a jerk, she wants an apology. That's not too much to ask, mm -hmm. you know, to admit that you did wrong. It's not too much to ask. But when it comes to God, it's like, just spend time with me. Go to church. Yeah. That's all I'm asking. Don't be mean. <laughs> you know, keep yourself unspotted from the world. Yeah. Take care of the oppressed, the, the widows, the orphans. Yeah, it, it's not too much to ask to read my words that will teach you to be a better person. Right. I. It's not too much, but it is too it much to It seems too much, yeah. To, to, for us, and I'm not saying to people, to me. Yeah. You know, I would never treat another person the way that I treat God, but we do. And, it's, and again, it could be because he's not tangible, because we don't see him every day, but... You know, if we believe it, then, yeah. And But again, it, the point being that he is endlessly forgiving. Endlessly forgiving. As much as we screw up. Yeah. It's, 
Yeah. Yeah, that's big time. Uh, you know, we we don't we just take God for granted. We don't fully appreciate yeah all that He's done for us and and what we owe Him. Yeah, and and I bring out this up also the the idea that the old ancient that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. A lot of people say that. Yeah. But Jesus was just reiterating what the Hebrew God said, what Yahweh said in the Old Testament. He wasn't saying anything new. He, I mean, he fulfilled prophecy, right? You know, which is why some things changed, right? But everything he was teaching wasn't like a new thing. No, they were all based on what the Old Testament said, what the Hebrew Scriptures said. Right. It was what it was doing was correcting because different religious traditions had arisen in Judaism: Essenes, Sadducees, Pharisees, Herodians. Uh, Good thing zealots. that doesn't happen tonight, to, uh, today, with Christianity. <laughs> yeah, that would never happen. <laughs> that would yeah. never happen now. That would never happen to Christianity today. <laughs> Have all and, these different factions? <laughs> and these different factions had, had, you know, focused on their particular traditions, and they were conflating their traditions, which not there's nothing necessarily wrong with in and of itself. Right. But when you make the tradition more important than the objective, you know, written word of God, that's when it becomes a problem. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with a, a system of accountability that says, has you confess your sins to a spiritual leader. There's nothing wrong with that system. But then when you put that system up as this is the only way. And you're not forgiven until you can you be forgiven this. of your yeah. sins. Then you have placed your tradition above what the word of God says. Right. So that's when it becomes a problem. There's nothing wrong with the tradition itself. But when you make the tradition more than what it is, just acknowledging, hey, this is just our particular tr way church's way of doing things mm -hmm. and there's other ways to do the same thing yeah if you're once if you're at that level then you're fine but when you say no no no, the way that my denomination or my church or my group the way we do things this is the only way to mm -hmm. fulfill the biblical command like the pharisees did or the sadducees or what have you or the essenes then you're you're making a big mistake that's when you're that's what jesus had to redirect like no get to the actual heart of the commands and the prohibitions get to the actual heart of the law and don't miss the point by your by your factional traditions yeah all right well is there the movie's over is there anything else you wanted to add to well, the story is there something well you brought up the idea of is god different in old and new testament yeah and you know i think god has always demanded you know righteous living and he still demands it today, and that's in the New Testament. James yeah. said, keep yourself unspotted from the world. Look after the, the widows and the orphans. That's the same thing as what God told the Hebrews under the law and society in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. It hasn't changed. Um, God's still the same person. If you read Revelation, God holds all nations and all humans accountable for their actions. And he's right. going to bring judgment just like he did, or similar, not just like, but in the same manner in which he held these ancient nations accountable. God still will do it again and it's Jesus who's doing it so Jesus is not any different he's the one with the sword coming to bring justice on the world for yeah. all the horrible things that we do to each other well and in the Old Testament he gets a bad rap because he's angry a lot you know and he's angry read Revelation <laughs> yeah. and read Acts well, read Jesus yeah you know? he's angry but again, a lot and what is he and he loves but, a lot but what is he mad about 
He's mad at people being jerks. He's mad at people oppressing the poor, the yep. you know, not speaking up for the oppressed, for worshiping other gods, yep. for ignoring the widows. Yeah. I mean, he's angry at people being bad. Is and he's especially upset with those who should know better. Right. Like, you know, we look at the Hebrews and, you know, God spoke to them from the mountain some of his laws. They actually heard it with their own ears. God speaking. This is my expectations. And then not too much later, they're like, eh, forget that. Let's worship this golden calf. You know, and same thing, Ananias and Sapphira, they've seen God's miracles through the apostles. They're doing amazing signs and wonders all the time. And then they're like, oh, we can totally just lie to the Holy Spirit. No, God had a harsh, it seems harsh from us, but a strong judgment because they're more accountable because they had seen so much more than most human beings ever get to know about God. Right. They'd seen it with their own eyes. And so there's different levels of accountability, but God holds us all accountable. And he's the same. But the people who had special revelations that the average person does not get, they're just held to a greater degree of accountability. Mm -hmm. And that's the same Old and New Testaments. Yeah. You know, God God is the same. And don't ever think that you're somehow off the hook. Um, right. Even as, you know... We still have plenty enough revelation of God with creation, with what he's done in our lives, with all the good things that he's blessed us with the fact that we're even alive today. Mm -hmm. There's no excuse for us to say, you know, God's way is just not cutting it for me. I'm going to go back and do my own thing. Yeah. We're all going to be held accountable if, uh, for our actions. But that's what the problem has been from the beginning is... I yep. think my way is a little bit better. Exactly. And, and that kind of rebellion has always been the the trigger to ruin everything. Right. It's like, I don't really like God's way. I'm going to do things my way. And Yeah. It's, uh, it's first of all, it never works out. Nope. Because God's way is kind of set up that way for yeah. a reason. Well, he knows what he's doing. And he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and, yeah, and then we expect him to just be okay with uh, us doing it our own way, and he's not. Yeah. You know, because it hurts other people, it hurts ourselves. Again, I that that's the thing that keeps blowing my mind is the idea that he's just asking us to be good. You know, he's not asking for like you know other gods ask for quite a lot. You know, beyond just how we act towards one another. Yeah, he's just act, he's just literally asking us to be nice to each other. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know the the beautiful thing about what are the two most important commands: loving God with all your being. And loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, we love, you know, our friends, Dan and Carrie. We love Cohen and Kaylee. Yeah. You know, before they were even born, I loved them. Because I love Dan and Carrie. Yeah. So, of course, I love their kids. And it's the same thing. Every human being is made in God's image. So, if I love God with all my being, then, you know, even if, even if, uh, you know, my friend's kids does a jerk move to me, you know, I still love them. Yeah. I'm like, oh, hey, you know, that's fine. They're kids, you know, they're growing. And, and I can have patience and, and tolerance and acceptance with, yeah, what they're doing is not right, but they're still growing and they're learning. And that's what God expects us to have for everyone made in his image. Right. So there you go. Uh, anything else? Again, great movie. Big fan. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy this movie. Yeah. And I, I think it's... I was really glad when this movie came out, and, and it was done so well. Yeah, it was it was a well done movie. It had a you know again a biblical theme, uh, and like I said, that the key elements of the story are there. Um, 
and you know it's a good lesson of the consequences of of rebelling against God. Yeah, and again, th- this is the thing about the secular world making God-centered movies is that they work best when God is actually there. Yeah, you know, Exodus and Noah and all these movies they fall short because they try to be more open to everyone even the, those that don't believe so they kind of really tone down god yeah and it, it just never works and it's but not the story when, the story is very clear about right god. but if there is a god even if you don't believe in god if there is a god in your movie then it just makes the story better right you know it, it, it the the few times that they've done that it's worked it right. makes the the story a lot better because there's actual motivation there and right. it just feels good that there's something out there up there, you know, talking to us and wanting to be a part of our lives, whether you believe it or not, if that, uh, it just makes for a better story. Yeah. And so I, I just think that Hollywood should, you know, listen to that. Absolutely. So. I mean, you know, it's the same thing. You know, I don't believe in the Greek deities, the, the ancient classical Greek deities. Sure. But when I read the story of, uh, you know, of, I forget the name of the couple. I think it's, is it Onesimus? It's anyway. It's like this old couple, and uh, you know Hermes and Zeus come in human form, and they're treated rudely and inhospitably by the whole village. Sure. And this one couple, this poor old elderly couple, they got no children. They got a one-room house. They give them their own bed. They sleep on the floor. They give them the only. They, they, their family pet, they kill it so that they could feed him. Like, they do everything to be hospitable. And they don't know that they're divine beings. They think they're just regular strangers just walking in off the street. Sure. And they're like, hey, we'll, we'll take care of you because that's what, that's what Greeks do. That's what good Near Easterners do is they show hospitality. And, right. of course, they're greatly blessed. This story makes no sense if you try to take the gods out of it. I would never try to <laughs> sacral, to, to destroy a a greek myth right. by taking the what's a key element of the story out of it uh, the story makes no sense yeah, otherwise prometheus or hercules or whatever yeah. yeah if you take the gods out then <laughs> eh, it doesn't make that much sense anymore yeah you know and same, i don't know it just seems like even if you're not a christian you strive for there to be something out there i mean the simpsons the simpsons is highly critical of Christianity and yeah. it probably does not believe in God, but the Simpsons go to church and they pray and Bart loses his soul in one episode and he's scared because it's just a better story. We strive for something, you know, to be a part of and, and I don't know. Anyways, there you go. Prince of Egypt. Adam, thanks for being here. Really appreciate the uh, Thanks for having me. I enjoyed being on again. Yeah, it's just a great movie. It's a great. I, I love these conversations. I love to be able to tackle these weird kind of things that you know that, that yeah. go through my head sometimes. But uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, and uh, you know, we'll be back next month. I think I might be doing next month's movie. I don't know. I might edit this part out because I'm still looking for a guest. But thank you guys for listening, uh, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Good night. You've been listening to the Commentarians Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. 
If you'd like to support our show, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thecommentarians. Thank you for listening, and until next time, remember, movies are a reflection of our lives and of other people's lives, and we get to experience them together. Come back to the movies with us. We love sharing them with you.